0: Indeed. Thanks a lot for this um, opportunity. Um, I am a political scientist and not a climate scientist as many of you are, and I think it's extremely important that we engage in a dialogue between social scientists and climate scientists because we, I think we believe we do have a lot to learn from uh, each other. Um, In order to um, analyse population displacements related to climate change, Uh, It is of course important that we base these uh, assumptions and findings on the models of climate change but it's also important that we um, examine uh, on the field how populations react uh, to the impacts of climate change. So what I will present now um, are the results of our research projects where we try to examine how these populations reacted um, to climate change. These are more at this stage um, qualitative studies, hence I will not uh, present any models or projections Uh, But I think that there are lots of key findings that should um, guide us um, in order to make predictions and policy adjustments uh, for a 4 degrees plus world. Um, First, I will start with some comments about what are uh, the migration linked to climate change and environmental degradation. Uh, First of all, we need to ask ourselves what are the impacts of climate change um, that induce large population displacements and where do such displacements occur? Um, Typically, we consider that there are three main families of climate change impacts that induce population displacement. Uh, First, uh, the droughts and desertification impacts related to water stress and to a decrease in precipitation. Uh, These impacts, with regard to population displacements, are mostly felt in Sub-Sahelian Africa, Northern Asia and Central America. This is not to say that other regions will not be affected by droughts and desertification, but these are the regions where the migration movements will be most important. Second category of climate impacts uh, that induce uh, population displacements, the extreme weather events, of course. Uh, In this regard, uh, the most important population displacement will happen and and are already happening in Southeast Asia. Asia-Pacific and the Gulf of Mexico. And then finally, sea level rise, which seems to be the most obvious impact of climate change when it comes to population displacement. And of course, coastal and delta regions will be affected first and most, as well as small island developing states. Um, There are a few other impacts of climate change that will also result um, in population displacement. We can think about uh, the melting of the permafrost in the Arctic regions, of course. Um, However, these population displacements are likely to be of a smaller extent, and um, they're not mentioned here. A key characteristic of all these regions is that most of them are very densely populated, uh, and this is the reason why the population movements are expected to be important. These displacements, however, are not all the same, and we don't have a single model of climate induced uh, displacement. We can be faced with internal and international displacement. And even though most of the attention from the media, the academics, and policymakers often turn to international migration, most of the people displaced by climate change impacts actually stay within their country. Uh, some of these movements are forced, but others are voluntary. In some cases, the decision to migrate is a choice made by the migrant in consideration of future climate impacts. Uh, Some some of them uh, are seeking a better life, some of them are just running for their life. Some of the movements are temporary, others are permanent. And this difference has huge policy implications and the kind of policies that you need to implement uh, when you're dealing with permanent migration is very different than when you're dealing with um, temporary displacement. In an increasing number of cases, uh, the impacts of climate change do not offer the possibility to return for the population. Finally, we have also some uh, migration movements uh, that are developed as migration strategies by the migrants. For example, circulatory or seasonal migration um, are typically migration strategies implemented by the migrants in order to cope with the impacts of climate change. So the key conclusion here is that we don't have a one-size-fits-all model uh, for climate migration, but we have different types of displacement. And it is impossible to link one type of impact of climate change to one type of displacement. All of the impacts of climate change can induce all of the types of displacement. There is not a single relationship between one impact and one kind of displacement. Because of this variety of displacement and this variety of impacts, uh, climate migration is often difficult to define. Uh, Climate change often aggravates and exacerbates existing problems, either environmental problems or socio-economic issues, and climate change often acts as a trigger um, on top of these problems. As said this morning, the impacts of climate change on populations depend very much on the adaptive capacities of the population rather than on the impacts themselves. And because climate change exacerbates and aggravates um, all the problems, it's very often very difficult, if not impossible, to disentangle uh, the environmental drivers of migration from other drivers of migration. Um, The environment is not separate from the socio-economic context, but is embedded in a socio-economic context and people very often will migrate for a variety of reasons of which environmental factors is one amongst other. So it's extremely difficult to disentangle environmental factors from other factors. What we can say, however, is that environmental factors are an increasingly important driver of migration amongst other factors. Um, Therefore, it's very difficult to separate climate migrants Uh, from other types of migrants, it's very difficult to set them apart in a specific category. And given that it's difficult to set them apart in a specific category, it's very difficult to estimate how many people are currently displaced by climate change and how many people will be displaced in the future. Uh, Because this will also depend a lot on the way populations will react and this will also depend, of course, on the policies, uh, policies of mitigation and policies of adaptation. You will often read that it's expected that climate change will displace something like 200 million people by 2050. Actually, this number is is not rooted in any empirical science, but it's just an assumption based on the number of people living in regions at risk. We don't know at this stage how these populations will react. Because of this lack of empirical knowledge, We often conceive uh, climate migration in a deterministic perspective. That is, we assume a series of facts that are very often not um, rooted empirically. Um, For example, we assume that uh, the displacements induced by climate change are forced and international displacements. In some occasions, these displacements are voluntary and most of them are internal. We also assume that there is a direct and causal relationship between environmental degradation and population displacements. That depends on the situation. In some cases, there is an environmental degradation, but the people do not move. Uh, In some cases, the movement of the people is not related directly to the environmental degradation. So the relationship between both is far from being a direct and causal relationship. And finally, we also assume that the nature and the extent of these displacements depend on the impacts of climate change. We assume that if the sea level rises by two meters instead of one meter, we will double the number of people displaced. That doesn't work like that. Uh, And actually the role of policies, as I will try to show, is extremely crucial. Is really crucial determinant um, about the nature and the extent of the displacements. And the reality is that for now, we don't know much about the way people react to environmental disruptions in their immediate environment. So this is why the H4 project uh, was launched in 2007. Um, the goal of the project, which was a collaborative research project between seven research centers in Europe, funded by the European Commission, was really to conduct an empirical assessment of the relationship between environmental changes and migration. Uh, It is the first ever project of this kind, assessing this relationship on a global scale in a comparative perspective. So we did 23 case studies all over the world in order to try and assess what was the importance of environmental degradation in triggering the movement of people, and what were the key patterns associated with these migration flows? So we went, I say we, but it's a team of about 50 researchers We went on the field asking the people what what was the importance of the environmental degradation uh, in your your decision to migrate and what were the patterns of this migration. So here are the 23 case studies that we conducted and if you want more details about each of these case studies, I invite you um, to log on to each 4eu as you can see, the 23 case studies are spread throughout the world um, and we really try to consider different types of environmental degradation. Some of them could be linked to climate change, some of them could not. Uh, for the people, it is not important to know whether or not their environmental, the environmental degradation they're facing is linked to climate change or not. And some environmental degradations not linked to climate change can actually provide a good indication of how people would react to future impacts of climate change. What are the key findings of these 23 case studies? The first finding is that in most cases, we observe a positive relationship between environmental change and migration. That means that environmental factors are a factor for migration, are an increasingly important migration driver today. So this is not something only for the future, but this is already happening today. Um, Increasingly, environmental factors are one of the key reasons why people move throughout the world. Second finding is that uh, the relationship can take many shapes, and we don't have one single model of environmental migration today. Uh, Some common patterns, however, is that these migration flows were mostly internal displacements, so the people would mostly try to remain within their country rather than seeking asylum in another country. Uh, and the reason is simple. Most of them are keen to maintain a social existing network. And they also rely to a certain extent to the assistance uh, that their state will provide to them. Second pattern is that migration is increasingly forced. Uh, under the influence of climate change, a number of migration movements that would have been voluntary movements are now becoming forced movements. And some of the migration that were decided on a voluntary basis by the migrants are now forced movements under the influence of climate change. Third key pattern is that the peak of migration movements does not always correspond to the peak of the environmental crisis. This is especially true in the case of droughts. Typically, we notice that um, droughts result in a decrease of migration flows rather than in an increase of uh, migration flows. The increase of migration flows happens either before or after the drought, but not at the time of the drought. And the reason for this is simple. Uh, Migration is a process that consumes quite a lot of resources from the migrants. And at the time of the environmental crisis, typically the migrants will seek um, to keep the resources um, for the immediate needs of the household, uh, just for, for food or for water, and will not divert the resources to migration, which is in some cases considered as a luxury that you cannot afford at the time of environmental crisis. And as I said, this is especially true in the case of droughts. Third key finding, which is extremely important. The poorest and most vulnerable people are often unable to migrate because they lack the resources to do so. Environmental migration and migration because of climate change today affects primarily primarily the rich people. That means that the poorest often lack the social capital or the economic capital that would enable them to move and to escape uh, from the degraded region where they live. So this is um, a finding that has very important policy implications, as I will try to show. Finally, uh, the policies uh, implemented by the state or by international organizations are really key determinants of the environment migration nexus. That is, people will only move if they can do so, and if the policies are implemented that allow them to do so. And in some cases, the restrictive policies will prevent the people from migrating uh, because either they will not be able to migrate, they will not be allowed to migrate, or because they will lack the resources to do so. (coughs) What are the policy implications of these findings if we consider a world where the temperature would rise by four degrees or more? We will need to adapt these policies um, to higher migratory pressures. If the temperature rises, the impacts will be more important. And hence, the migratory pressure will also increase. In many cases, the migration will need to be encouraged and not avoided. Uh, When we consider migration related to climate change today, we see it as a catastrophic consequence of climate change. In a 4-plus degrees, wo- degrees world, it will be important to consider these migration movements as an adaptation strategy that, allowed, that enabled the people to avoid uh, the most serious and most damaging impacts of climate change. So we will need to envision migration not as a failure of adaptation, as it is often the case right now, but as a real adaptation strategy as part of the adaptive capacity of a population the migrants themselves. Uh, We should not see them always as resourceless victims, but we should should, uh, try to foster policies that really empower the migrants and allow them to use the resources they have. Uh, And therefore, we need to go beyond humanitarian aid. And we've seen that very clearly in the case of Katrina, for example. We could see that humanitarian aid was not enough. Uh, The people needed jobs, needed homes, not only blankets and food supplies. Uh, So we will really need to foster policies that empower the resources of the migrants and not always see them as resourceless victims. Finally, it will be crucial to enable the most vulnerable people to move. Uh, If these people do not move, they will be affected directly by the impacts and some of them will die. So enabling them to move will be a key component of any migration policy that would consider a 4 degrees plus world. We will also need to consider the issue of proactive population displacements. We know that today some populations live in regions that are at risk of being impacted by climate change. We know that that's especially the case in Deltaic regions that the impacts of of sea level rise and of climate change in general seems inevitable for these regions will need to consider the possibility to displace these people before uh, the most serious impacts of climate change happen in these regions. This is an extremely delicate issue because there are lots of human rights uh, to consider. And of course, it, is, uh, it wouldn't be right um, to move people without their consent. But therefore, we, need, we have a lot of information and education work to do with these people uh, in order to encourage uh, migration and to foster some proactive displacement. In most of the cases that we observed, uh, we noticed that the people who had migrated were better off than the people who had stayed behind. Uh, this is why it is so important in many cases to encourage and foster the migration of people. Other policy re- recommendations or implication is that the adaptation measures will need to be implemented in the destination regions as well. Uh, most often we conceive the adaptation policies only in the origin region. Uh, these regions will need to adapt because if they don't adapt the people will need to move. As a matter of fact some people will move and they will move in regions that are already most of the time uh, lacking uh, some of the basic resources. So we will need to implement adaptation strategies in the place where the migrants go in order to Um, allow these places to cope uh, with an additional demographic pressure. Uh, Most of these regions, let's take African cities for example, given that uh, many migrants tend to move from rural regions to um, urban regions, uh, the African cities will need to see the capacity strengthened so that they can afford an additional influx of people and provide them with food, with water, but also with jobs, housing, Uh, schooling, and so on and so forth. Finally, uh, the issue of protection and costs uh, will not be avoided. Uh, For now, the migration policies and the migration protection frameworks and normative frameworks in general um, are still blind to environmental issues. Uh, Migration policies and migration law considers that people migrate because of economic or political reasons, but not because of environmental reasons. Uh, These policies will need to evolve and to take into account the fact that people also move for environmental reasons and will need to provide adequate assistance and protection to these people. Finally, uh, migration also has a cost, both for the origin region and for the destination regions. These costs cannot be and shouldn't be borne today by the countries most affected by climate change, but industrialized countries will have a responsibility um, to uh, internalize these costs in the costs of climate change. And as I said, the cost today cannot be borne uh, by by those that will be most affected by uh, this migration. This is the message I wanted to convey today. Thank you for attention.